Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. This episode is being released a day early in observance of Thanksgiving in the U.S. Each year, our team reflects on what they're grateful for, both personally and professionally. This year, we have many reasons to count our blessings, including one special milestone to celebrate, the Global Autism Project's 20-year anniversary. In this episode, our CEO, Molly Olapini, and our head of university and training programs, Anne Byrne, discuss the Global Autism Project's origin, how we evolved to be what we are today, how autism awareness has increased around the world over the last 20 years, how the field of ABA has embraced the neurodiversity movement, our motto, do with, not for, as the foundation to our work, cultivating ownership versus buy-in with a team, and what Molly and Anne are grateful for during this special occasion. You'll also hear a few special excerpts of our staff members sharing their personal gratitudes. We hope that this episode will inspire you to reflect on what you're grateful for this holiday season. In this episode, discover what's possible when you attend to gratitude. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our online community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you the Global Autism Project team. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode centered mostly around gratitude. You may notice that Rachel's incredible host presence is missing. I am Molly Olapini. I'm the founder and CEO of the Global Autism Project and joined by Anne Byrne, who some Hello. people know. <laughs> some people know, and I don't think enough do, that Anne has been along for the ride. We'll call it a ride of the yeah. Global Autism Project for what a ride it's been. <laughs> nearly as many years as I have been. So about 18 years now, we've actually worked together. And I often credit Anne with being the reason that I stayed in the field. So we'll talk more about that. But, you know, we had this really great conversation on the phone the other day. And I was like, man, I wish we were just recording this conversation. And so we obtained special permission from Rachel to be unattended. Just took us a good 10 minutes to figure out the logistics of <laughs> unsupervised, like no babysitters. It's, you know, the kids are going wild here. <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> left alone with the podcast episode. So real raw, virtually uncut, Rachel will edit in the inevitable, you know, I'm here with the dog and a baby and Anne has her whole family. And uh, yeah, but this month actually marks 20 years of the Global Autism Project. Wild. To think about like how it started in the beginning and, and where we thought we'd be now and what the possibilities were then is just remarkable. 
the whole trajectory of the project has just changed so much, so many times over the past 20 years. There's been so much that has happened that has, you know, really improved the lives of people all over the world. Yeah, it's interesting to think because I think about if you had said, hey, where do you think you'll be in 20 years? I don't think I could have imagined 20 years. I was 23 years old when I started this. So it's very difficult to imagine 20 years out at that point. I might have thought retired. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I I would have imagined addressing the same kind of problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I feel like the, you know, there's been such a shift in the level of awareness. There has been such a shift in embracing of neurodiversity that I feel like the whole way that we work has changed. Like we as behavior analysts and anyone who cares about the autistic population, the whole way that we work has changed in wonderful ways. I think I look back on sort of what I thought the global autism project would be like, and it's better than I could have imagined. Honestly, you know, I really thought we would be addressing the same problems, which now that I think about it means that those problems would not have improved. Right, right. You know, looking back, I thought I would be doing kind of the exact same thing, which means that the issues that were there in my imagination remained unresolved. Like there wasn't any progress. <laughs> so yeah. now when I look at kind of what we are doing and the way that we're doing it, I'm looking at a very, very different kind of view. It's exciting to say like, you know, I don't know what the next 20 years for the project is going to bring. Oh my goodness. The next 20 years, I'm definitely thinking about retirement. But, (laughs) you know, I think one of the things that's been really interesting is just watching the evolution of the project alongside the evolution of the field, alongside Mm -hmm. the evolution of the autistic community in terms of just the advocacy and all of that that goes on. One of the thing, the thing I think that has allowed us to grow and change and still be here and still be relevant has been that we have always done with and not for. Yeah. Uh, You know, we didn't quite have the words until I was invited to do a TEDx talk two weeks before a TEDx talk date. And we said, okay, idea worth sharing in one sentence or less. Boom, here it is. Do with not for, right? And that's really now become more obviously central to how we work. But that's always been it, right? It was really clear to me living in Ghana that I was not going to be some kind of, you know, local expert in this community. One, because I knew very little about the culture. I certainly had no lived experience. I don't know if people really know who are listening right now, really know how the organization got started. For a long time, I felt like Oh, everyone's heard this story 58,000 times, but I've noticed that that is no longer the case. More people have heard of the Global Autism Project and don't know the origin story. So for those of you who don't, I'm going to share it just quickly. I had been trained as what was called at the time an ABA therapist, would now be an RBT probably. I was the person who was implementing services for this kid. And we were living in Seattle, Washington. And part of the reason I took the job is because their family had said, you know, in a year, we're going to be moving to Ghana. And I was taking time off from college. And I thought, well, that's good. It kind of has a beginning, middle, and end. It sounds cool. Shout out to fluency-based precision teaching. That's what I was specifically trained in and have just a huge spot in my heart for. 
And so when the family was moving to Ghana, I thought, well, that'll be a natural kind of breakoff point, right? They'll move to Ghana and I'll stay here and I'll go back to college and that'll be that. And then they asked me if I wanted to move to Ghana and I thought about it for a little while and I thought, no, I probably don't want to do that at this particular point in my life. And so then they, I went back the next day, ready to let them know that, you know, I'd thought about it. And I did. I let them know that I'd thought about it. And absolutely, I would love to. And did I need a passport? <laughs> uh, at which point... Second, and did I need a passport? You didn't know you'd need a passport? I just, no, it hadn't occurred to me. I'd had no interest or like, I grew up in a town of 1400 people. Moving to Seattle was a huge deal. I remember people would say like, oh, I just want to see the whole world. And I was like, oh, could I? I don't have to. Like, oh, I'm sure it's nice. The U.S. is really cool. So yes, turns out I did need a passport. But that's just, you know, I just share that part, I think, to give you context. Like, I really was just so naive and 23 isn't all that young. But okay, keep in mind also, this project has evolved alongside the evolution of the internet, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> you didn't have information as, as readily available. There weren't Facebook groups and Instagram and such. That. This project predates both Facebook and Instagram. But anyway, so I moved to Ghana with this family and people start coming to my house looking for the lady who knows what autism is. And I'm like, sure. Yeah, 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 basically, you know, sure, I know what autism is. And through these families, I meet a woman who has started an autism center in Ghana after spending some time in the U.S. And so I began volunteering at that center as much as possible, working with the families who had come to find me, just kind of just kind of hanging out with the kids, honestly. You know, I wasn't a BCBA. I wasn't like writing full programs. Again, you have to keep all of this in the context of this was not something that health insurance paid for. This was not a medical service. This was something that families privately hired you for. And in a lot of ways, it was a step above almost like a babysitter, you know? So people will sometimes say, oh my God, you moved with a family. What about dual relationships? And it was like, that was not a conversation we were having in 2003. <laughs> you worked for the family. Yeah. And in Ghana, it wasn't uncommon for families to have house staff and you were kind of another house staff. So it wasn't, you know, culturally, it wasn't that crazy. No, not at all. And during that time, there were other, you know, even in the US, I would see job offers for like, oh, will you please come, you know, be our in-house behavior therapist. That wasn't that unusual at the time. No, that part was pretty normal. I mean, he worked for family. Families paid me. I wasn't paid by a company. That wasn't a thing. Anyway, so through these people, I started volunteering at the center all the time. And I thought, well, we need to get some training here. So I went on the internet. And by I went on the internet, that means that I went to busy internet, which was on Ring Road in a Krog, <laughs> 2003. And I would, because they had the fancy satellite internet. I didn't have access to internet. First of all, phones didn't have internet. Okay. This is like, this is when this was friends. Phones did not have the internet. It wasn't like I went on the internet, like, oh, I just looked things up on my phone. It's like, I took the taxi to busy internet. I paid for my hour, you know, that was probably the equivalent of like 45 cents or something, but that, that was money. Right. And I would spend that hour looking on the internet, finding somebody who could please come to Ghana to train us. Because here in Ghana, what I had identified is that there were a lot of people who wanted training and I was not necessarily going to be the one to train. So I was absolutely able to find people who are willing to come to Ghana. And 
it was the most ludicrous offer ever. You know, they were going to charge like $8,000 for the week. At the time I made $600 a month. So I was like, well, that's a little out of our price range. But the part that was so (laughs) like this to me, yeah, is that they required a translator. And I was like, the language is English. They speak English in Ghana. They were like, well, you know, whenever we come to Africa, we need a translator. I was like, to translate what? So I just say, you know, whether we could afford this or not, we weren't going to do it. Speaking of level of awareness, like that was another like kind of big lesson that certainly I learned as part of the Global Autism Project, that sort of a lack of awareness of like Africa in general. Africa is actually a continent and they speak lots of language on a continent. It's a little bit like saying like every time I go to Europe, I get a translator. Like, why would you like, you know, like not if you go to England or Ireland, you don't need yeah. a translator. <laughs> Strange. In hindsight, it was so strange, right? So yeah, that's kind of the longer than I had intended, as is always the case, version of how the project got started. I literally just thought, well, how hard can it be? I'll just create something, some sort of vehicle so that people can come to Ghana and provide training because that's what's needed. And there's a video of me from 2004 and I go, well, start in Ghana and go all over the world. And I just look at that video and I'm like, what was that child talking about? <laughs> like, and, you know, and had anybody asked me how, I don't know that I would have had an answer. But I learned early on in my career, thankfully, that the answer to how is yes. Mm-hmm. And you say yes, and you keep saying yes, and you figure it out as you go. You know, I think the most valuable skill set anyone has ever brought to the project is their resourcefulness. And it's not about your resources. It's about your resourcefulness. And that's true for us as an organization. That's true for our partners. And we have been incredibly resourceful in figuring it out and making it happen. But yeah, so here we are 20 years later, we've worked with 20 countries. We're going to start in Ghana and go all over the world. Yeah. And I think about my own first trip to Ghana and like what an experience that was for me. And I was one of those people who was willing to come in and provide training And I remember talking to my husband, who's not in the ABA field, and I was so nervous. And I was like, oh, they want me to have, you know, smart things to say. And he said, he's just observe. He was like, you're like, if you just observe for three days, you'll have so much better recommendations. So that was part of the advice that I got. And I also noticed, and, and I tell this story a lot, especially when I talk about like culture shock and like how that informs our work. So, you know, I got on the plane and, you know, like I got on the plane knowing how to brush my teeth and take a shower and, you know, do all these things that I know how to do when I'm here. And I arrived at the apartment and you greeted me and you were like, I'm so happy to see you. We actually don't have any water. So here's how to brush your teeth. And here's, you know, like, here's how we drink water and here's how to take a shower, which I actually never figured out bucket showers. I just would, you know, kind of stink. But that feeling of like helplessness of, needing somebody to like show me how to hail a cab and needing somebody to, you know, show me how to brush my teeth and, you know, like how that really made me want to sort of fling back on some control. And, you know, it really wrote like my awareness of how much I wanted to give recommendations that were about me and not about need, uh, the needs of the center. That sort of was like, this isn't really about whether or not they need to do this thing that I could recommend. This is about me feeling uncomfortable because I all of a sudden have to learn new things. 
so the discipline of like really listening for three days was super helpful to keep that in check. And I think once I was able to keep that in check, then that allowed me to really do with and not for, because I wasn't just running in there and saying, okay, well, you know, do all these things. Like I'm smart. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and yeah. You know, because the the sort of discomfort that I felt was, you know, just being in a new place, I was ready to be like, okay, you know, I may not know a lot of stuff, but I know this. Right. And I sort of wanted to feel comfortable again. So like leaning into that discomfort a little bit and, you know, letting myself learn and really making it a learning experience was the best thing I could have done. And it was so good for me in so many other ways. And then that meant once I had practiced doing that abroad, I came back home to my clients and that helped me then too, because I wasn't just running off with these like ready fire aim recommendations. I was really listening. Like, what is the problem? What are the variables here? What are you willing to do? Is this something that is a priority? and having real conversations with people about what their needs were. Yeah, it's funny because I remember you telling me that David had given you that advice. And when we send teams into the field to this day, we've had over a thousand people travel with us at this particular point in the organization. That's what we tell them. Yeah. Listen, learn. There's a beautiful Lao Tzu quote, go to the people, live with them, learn from them, love them, start with what they have. It's something, what is it? I I do actually know it. Anyway, look it up, Lao Tzu. Anyway, it ends with, with the best work when the task is done, the people will say, we have done this ourselves. Right. So when you shift your focus, when leadership becomes about supporting the people around you in doing it themselves, it just creates a whole new paradigm, a whole new level of, of workability, frankly. And I think about, you know, there's a lot of things that, we teach to this day that were discovered in the early days, like the essential framework, right? So we say essential, preferable, preferable to me and it's skill core orientation. We often use the example of it's essential that data is taken. It's preferable that it's frequency data and it's preferable to me that you use the tally counter. What we don't know is that you and I walked all around Makola market in a Kragana looking for a tally counter and oh the other God, thing yes. <laughs> was um, press TED. For those of you who do not know what press TED is, you may know it as Velcro. <laughs> we finally were able in the market that day to find a bag that had some Velcro on it. And we were like, what do you call, like, what is this? And they were like, oh, that's press TED because you press TED it to close it. And you were like, you do press TED it to close it. You are exactly <laughs> right. We will now go and find Preston. Thank you. Um, So what we realized though, is like, we're only here for so many days. We are not going to spend the next week searching for a tally counter. And I remember at the time there was this new online bookseller and it was called Amazon. And one of the things that I had done when I was living in Ghana is I'd reached out to a friend of mine because I saw that there was this online bookseller and it was called Amazon and they would send you the book. And the book I needed was called the nonprofit kit for dummies because I was going to start this nonprofit. And so they sent it on Amazon. Now, listen, to this day, you don't just Amazon over things to Ghana. And at the time, 
it would be like you had to know somebody who was going to the U.S. And it was just like, you don't just go and pick things up. Even if you do know what they're called, you still don't just go and pick things up, especially 20 years ago in Ghana. And so these sort of frameworks that we've developed, this one, and really that you developed, the essential, preferable, and preferable to me, it allowed us to go like, you know what? Maybe we do not need a tally counter. And I remember when we got to what was essential, the team in Ghana was able to figure out just another way to count besides a tally counter. And it was right. yeah. Know, like with beads. And also the second visit that we made there, they said, Oh, we were using your data sheets. We changed them all. Yeah. And, um, and they saved something like 40% on paper. Yeah. Because of like a slight change they made to the data sheets. Yeah, exactly. And they were printing them smaller. Yeah, they were printing them slightly smaller. They changed some of the formatting and they cha- they saved like a bundle on paper. Who's not going to embrace an idea like that? I know. So if we cling too much to like, you have to do it this way, this is the way, then we're missing out on, you know, really the point of what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because when you talk about that, I remember that, What we were crystal clear on is that our local partners really had to lead the way. And that's still to this day, right? I remember I was at the Global Summit in 2019, first annual, LOL. We did not have a Global Summit in 2020 or 2021 or 2022. (laughs) Like we were like, first annual. And it's like, oh, here comes 2020. Just kidding. But I remember somebody had said, you know, my gosh, like, how do you get this buy-in from all of these people around the world? And it was... The most bizarre question to me, and I thought, okay, rather than just write off this question, I'm going to kind of think about it. And it occurred to me that we don't go for buy-in. What we go for is ownership and we co-create. And I think, you know, that co-creation, it doesn't always happen at the pace that we may be used to things happening. And I remember a very specific conversation with you when I was like, we need a better word for slow. (laughs) 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 And, and what we came up with was deliberate and intentional that became really like a a big piece of this organization is that it was deliberate that it was intentional that we were not rushing into things frankly we didn't have the resources to rush into things right but you know also along the way we have turned down ideas and funding and people and you know and i think we've just been intentional and we've been deliberate. You know, we knew for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, we would never run an international volunteer program. I know a lot of you listening to this right now only know us because we run an international (laughs) volunteer program. Instead of going, we'll never, we'll never, we'll never, we started to open up our minds to like, what if we did it, but we did it a bit differently right? And in marketing and in business, there's this concept called the blue ocean, where it's like, we can swim around in the red ocean with all the sharks biting each other's tails, or we can just go to a blue ocean. And we did that. And we have done that. The whole organization in and of itself is a blue ocean. And listen, when you're the first people trying to even do something, my gosh, I'm just like, I remember we would tell people like, oh, we work with kids with autism or, you know, oh, and that's changed, right? It used to be autistic kids and then kids with autism and autistic is, you know, it ebbs and flows over 20 years. But they would go like, oh my gosh, do they have autism in Africa? Wow. And even the minister of health 
in Ghana told me, no, 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 we don't have autism here. Maybe South Africa. That's where it was, guys. And in some places in the world, that's where it is. We went to World Autism Awareness Day, World Autism Awareness Day at the UN. I can't remember what year it was, but it was like in some back room. There was like, there was one Canadian there. (laughs) That was how international it was. (laughs) I think someone from Qatar as well, perhaps, but certainly super representative. I met one person from Canada and he actually stood up and said, where are the other 194 countries? Yeah. And interestingly enough, he said, autism has no borders. And then I approached him afterwards and I said, you're not going to believe this. And I like showed him, I think it was my jacket at the time that said autism has no borders on the back. And I said, I agree with you. (laughs) So we went from like, that has been like one of the shifts. And you actually reached out to the UN. I sent flowers to one of the organizers Mm -hmm. and then invited them to meet me for lunch. It was in Manhattan. We were in Brooklyn. It was doable. Yeah. Yeah. We then for many years co-produced that event with the United Nations and many of our partners have been on the stage. So, and And they were truly international. Yeah. Hearing about research that's being done around the world. Mm -hmm. We ended up getting consultative status of the United Nations. Yeah. It's been a wild ride. I think we had a little a little pre-conversation and kind of took notes. And I'm just looking and I remember it's like there were so many years of literally the desktop of my computer said those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt the person doing it. It's a little known fact that once upon a time, I had somebody who had worked with the project in the early days said, you know, you should just give it to me and I should just run it because you're going back to school. And I was like, yeah, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to have just planted the seed and you take it to what's next. And so she and a few others took it and they kept it for one week and let me know that it was not viable, that the idea was never going to work. And I remember I just pulled back up my desktop, said those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt the person doing it. And when I think about, this is the Thanksgiving episode, when I think about the gratitude that I have for the people who have come into this world that is the Global Autism Project, it's wild. You know, in the same week that I had given up the organization was the same week that I met Anne. And there was somebody from Ghana there and she was like, and Anne, if you know, if you've met her in real life or heard her on this podcast, you know, she's like, Ghana, what? Tell me more. She's like the most interested, excited, enthusiastic person when she meets you. And I was like, no, no, it's just like, don't, you know. And then the woman from Ghana who was also there was like, oh my goodness, tell us about the Global Autism Project. And she was like, tell me. And so just the amount of gratitude that I have for Anne's enthusiasm and love and support in that moment, that crucial moment. And then the last 18 years is like, it's ridiculous. I mean, she, some of the best things that we do here, and there are so many incredible people who have been here through thick and very, very thin, um, you know, times. And it's, a bit cliche, but it's like, I have so much gratitude for the, you know, thousand plus skill core members. And I've probably had hundreds of people on this team over the years. 
and our partners and our supporters and just it's it's pretty it's pretty wild to to be here 20 years later you really can have nothing but gratitude i think in this to have gotten here yeah i mean i feel the same way you know when you see things evolve like this i'm now i'm going to this quote, the same quote, but when the people you work with say they did this themselves, when you can let go of that ego piece and like watch it form, there's such tremendous gratitude in being part of something like that. And, you know, in our pre-conversations, I was saying to Molly, you know, like, at least for me personally, a lot of it is also about relationship. And, you know, to me, my gratitude in the project and, and being involved with our partners in Ghana and Indonesia and, you know, India, like I have so much gratitude for everyone who's just these incredibly dedicated people who are giving everything that they have. But then it's also all mixed up and like, you know, the memories of the two of us watching 27 dresses on the plane coming home from Ghana, <laughs> like, like giggling like idiots because we were sleep deprived. And <laughs> we go sleep on those trips. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And it's, you know, and I wonder now, is 27 Dresses as good a movie as we thought it was? <laughs> we can not left for a very long time. Um, so, but, you know, I'm so grateful for like all of the relationships and all the opportunities to be part of what was really, what has not just been like me making recommendations and doing things and blah, 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 but really part of a global movement. And I'm so grateful for you. I mean, I think that, you know, as much as you personally are the person doing things, you also inspire everyone else to do these amazing things that they never thought they would do. Like if you talked to me at the beginning of my uh, teaching career and said like, hey, do you think maybe you're going to write three books? I'd be like, no, that's not going to be a thing that happens. And the dedication in the study guide that I wrote, which was the first book that I wrote, said to my family who made this book possible and to Molly who made saying no impossible <laughs> because that like you like there's it's not just that you're like oh you know it's being published in six weeks get working in but it's also like that you like you have this inspiring energy there's no such thing as can't there's no such thing as impossible and that just informs everything you do and the and the way that you inspire people and it's just so it's great to be around that all the time Thank you. My favorite thing is seeing people step into like who I know they can be. You know, I think all of us tend to keep ourselves in a box that has a little bit of, it's like too small for our potential, you know, and even Rachel in this podcast, speaking of gratitude, just so much gratitude for this and the community that we've been able to cultivate because of it. And I often say, you know, we are only here as an organization after a very rough pandemic. International travel is part of what we do, large part. Pandemic really, really tried to get us. But we are here because of the team we have, the partners we have, the people. You know, a lot of other organizations that do our type of work that I would sometimes look to, to go kind of like, what are they doing about this situation? A lot of them vanished. And I think it's always been about more, you know, we're not going to let some silly little pandemic or some silly little setback stop this movement because it's a global movement. It's an important movement. 
And it just, it has so much momentum and so many incredible people. So I think the gratitude every year, every year, Thanksgiving, but every day, every day, one of the things that we used to do in our staff meeting in the office is we'd write down on a little piece of origami paper, what we're grateful for. But I hope if you've learned anything, anything at all in this episode, it's like, stay in it, stay grateful, even through the hardest parts, because it is so freaking worth it. My name is Jessie Sheehan. I am our director of business development here at the Global Autism Project. This year, I am grateful for so many things. When I think about our team, I feel a lot of gratitude. It's something really special to know that you work with people that no matter what every day are truly showing up as their whole selves and who want to do well and want everyone else to do well and just care so much. And then on top of it, we get to laugh and do some amazing things together. It's just it's an incredible thing to be a part of. So definitely grateful for our team. And I'm really grateful for the different experiences that we cultivated this year, thinking back to the trip that we had in March with our alumni through being able to send a team out in July and the opportunity to lead a team this October and to be a part of the conversations that were had, the things that were shared amongst different people. And just watching kind of humans connect with one another in these amazing ways is something I feel a lot of gratitude for. And my intentions for the holiday season, I think I want to soak up as much time with friends and family as I can and to find a lot of joy in those moments and to just stay really present and be I guess, be someone that feels a lot of gratitude for what I have and for the people that are around me and to really celebrate those things and to enjoy it. My name is Mandy Childs. I am the director of Skill Corps. And this year I have had a lot to be grateful for. I welcomed my second child, a daughter, and she was born in July. I was grateful, obviously, to have her and welcome her into our family, but I was also extremely grateful for the support that I received from my family here at the Global Autism Project. I was able to take maternity leave to spend time with my family and my new baby and also be involved in what was still going on at the Global Autism Project while I was away to be involved with Skill Corps in whatever capacity worked for me during those first couple of months with a newborn. I absolutely loved being able to see our Skill Corps teams get back out there and do amazing work. I followed along on social media, you know, when I was at home up in the middle of the night, all the fun, crazy hours that you have with a newborn. And for this holiday season, my intention is to be intentional. I'm bringing that word of intention into 2024 for my word of the year. I want to make sure that I am being intentional with all of the decisions that I'm making and really reflecting on why I'm making decisions, how things are making me feel, and what the intent is behind everything that I'm doing. And, you know, just make sure that I'm not allowing myself to be overwhelmed and that I am focusing on the things that are important and the things that are right in front of me. And just, again, being very intentional about everything that I do this holiday season and moving into 2024. Hi, my name is Chong and I am a program associate at Global Autism Project. 
What I'm grateful for this year is really seeing the resilience of everyone on this team throughout the year. It has been a very hectic year, but being in every team meeting, really seeing everyone going through such hard period, but they push through with all the strength and the persistence that they have was really inspiring for me to going through my own personal challenges and also contributing towards this team. I feel like I say this at all time, even though I'm like across the world living in Vietnam, but I love to come to a meeting just so that I can feel the inspirations coming from everyone. So for that, I am always grateful for everyone on this team. I am also grateful for our field trip to be in India during um, Skill Corp July. I feel like it was such a great opportunity to reconnecting with our partners in India, Sorum, and also just really reimagining what Skill Corp can be for our folks in the United States and also for our partners around the world. So that was such a great opportunity experience for everyone, including me. And I feel like it's really reassuring for me the path that Skill Corp has taken in a new turn are definitely much needed for our partners and also our professionals in, well, across the United States. After such a long and challenging year for me, this holiday, I have the intention to write personal thank you notes for everyone who have touched my life this year. I want to say thank you to them. I want to show my appreciation and also telling them how much their guidance has helped me throughout this year. And I feel like Thanksgiving is probably not going to be a holiday for me, but also a theme of my holiday seasons this year. So that's how I am setting the intention for my holiday season. Hi there. My name is Colleen Dorsey, and I work part-time with the Global Autism Project as both their fundraising coach, which I absolutely love. Fills me up every single time. I run different challenges with our fundraisers and future travelers. I also help support our social media. So I help to do some stories on our Instagram. So if you're ever clicking through, that's usually me. When I think of Thanksgiving, which is my favorite holiday, which is coming up, and I think about what I'm grateful for this year, it's honestly the little things. I recently did a workshop about waking up grateful, and we were asked to name three things that we're grateful for. And then we were asked to not necessarily think of the big major things, but think of the simple things. Like when I lay in bed, I wake up grateful that I have a pillow to put my head on or I have a blanket to keep me warm. I think often we forget the simple basic things we are fortunate to have in life. And I want to continue to just be grateful for those. And my intentions this holiday season are to lend a hand, to offer up help and support for more people, whether it's through volunteering at my school or in my community or just reaching out to my loved ones, family and friends, just see if anyone needs any support or if I can help them with anything. I love being around people and I love giving back. Therefore, I'm gonna focus on doing that this holiday season. Thank you. My name is Danielle Terrell and I'm the Autism Knows No Borders social media manager and guest communication liaison. This year, I'm extremely grateful for health, wellness, and the ability to travel. I've traveled several times this year, and each time I'd step into a new point of knowledge and a new experience as an advocate. I'm grateful for opportunities with the Global Autism Project 
to become a community moderator and travel with the Skill Corps team. My intentions for this holiday season is to be present in the moment and to embrace routine. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. Our podcast team has been reflecting on many things to be grateful for. First of all, we're grateful for you, our listeners, and your continued support. We're also grateful for our podcast guests and their willingness to share their story with all of us. And of course, we're grateful for our growing global autism community whose members keep showing up with commitment to our mission. Personally, something I'm grateful for is my husband, who also happens to edit this podcast. After Molly, Mark has been the next biggest supporter of my endeavors to launch and continue this podcast. While his responsibilities only officially include audio and content editing, he's always willing to brainstorm ideas with me and offer endless moral support. My intention for this holiday season is to enjoy quality time with my family. From all of us at the Global Autism Project, we wish you a happy Thanksgiving and hope you can spend some time with your loved ones this weekend. Thanks for listening. Take care. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at AutismKnowsNoBorders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.